Welcome back to episode three of Literally Anything the Podcast. This week we're talking about the Dark Tower and Twin Peaks. Twin I actually Peaks. forgot what our what I've been binging Sorry. for the past month. It's been a while since we've we've done this. Uh, we've both had very busy lives, and we kind of said summer is going to be not as regularly scheduled as during the year, but we'll we'll work it out. Um, so Dark Tower, can, give me the background. You you know Dark Tower really well. I. I love the Dark Tower series. Um, okay, so in short, it is seven, now eight books, written by Stephen King, who is usually known for his horror writing. But in this, the Dark Tower series is more of like a Western sci-fi fantasy genre. It's insane. It's, it's absolutely insane. And it does have elements of horror in it. There are definitely yes. horror elements. So wait, there's eight of the main series. I thought there were seven of the main series. So there were seven of the main series until a couple years ago, and he wrote what he called an interquel that takes place during the storyline of roland going to the dark tower right so the fundamental storyline is this guy roland is the last gunslinger of the land of gilead and gunslingers are like knights who use revolvers and he is on a quest to find the dark tower and stop the dark tower from being destroyed which will end the entire universe yeah Um, in a sentence that's the story so it's a very inside niche thing. Like nerds, not, not all nerds are aware of Dark Tower. Like, but the Dark yes. Tower nerds are big, big fans of it. Yes. Now, there's also a Marvel book. So there's a series of comics that came in the early 2000s, I think. Yeah, and it's it's pretty impressive. They did a lot of them. There, mm-hmm. the is it a retelling of the novels or is it a sequel? It's called The Gunslinger Reborn. Is the box set. Right. So I haven't read all of them, and I haven't really even read a lot of them. Some of them I know are versions of the book. Okay. Some of them fill in backstories. Like So there is new content. So there is definitely new content. One of the big things is the last battle of Gilead is known as the Battle of Jericho Hill. And in the book, there's not much about that. They reference it from time to time. Right. They, they acknowledge that this is the end of civilization, pretty much. Right. Um, and then there's a whole comic series that kind of fleshes it out. And and it's the first series was gorgeous. I know Jay Lee mm-hmm. did the art, and Jay Lee does the art in one of the reprints of the book. In fact, the yes. first when I read the Gunslinger, this is the part one of the novels. He does some of the interior art. Um, not not like it's a picture book there, but about every hundred pages, there is a right. cool drawing that's that's nifty in there. Um, so that's maybe part of the, the franchise, maybe not. I think they're canon, but they're not. I mean, you don't need them. You don't need to read the comics to get the stories. Okay. Which brings us to the movie that's coming out in about a month. Okay. So let's stop and say no Dark Tower spoilers no, for the I'm, series. And also, you have read all of them and love them. I, read I have just finished book three out of eight. Oh, you finished three? Yeah, I finished three. Okay. So I'm done with three. I bought book four. Book four is my favorite. Skip. So skip the new one that he wrote. The new one that he wrote is called The Wind Through the Keyhole. And I would. It has very little canon. I would skip it. Basically, the deal is like they stop one night on their journey and Roland tells them a story. So it doesn't change any of the fundamental structure. It's of just the cool world. It's a neat little Again, thing. Again, another world building thing. Now, in fairness, book four is like that as well. But book four is really good. 
Yeah, book four here is really good. And is the, now I have to know this, and this is a little spoilery for me. Is there anything that helps the main plot in book four? Like because book three ends on a cliffhanger. Okay, so yes, what's going to happen is the first part, the first couple chapters of book four will solve the cliffhanger of book three. By the way, a s- silly, silly cliffhanger if I've ever seen one. Uh, you will not like the resolution then. It gets even sillier? It's, it's a little sillier. It's hard to talk about this in a compelling way and that's not spoil not, it. Not spoil it. I will say this. Uh, Dark Tower is one of the weirdest books, book series I've ever read. Yeah. It starts off, and this is how I kind of pitch it to people. It starts off almost Lord of the Ringsy. Like, yes. it's Game of Thrones... It is this high fantasy. High fantasy. Roland, this, and the only thing you understand is instead of swords, they have old timey Western guns, which is cool. I can live with that. That's which his guns are made from the melted down steel of Excalibur. Oh, really? Which, yeah, which is cool. Did I not catch that? Uh, it comes up periodically. Okay. So, and it establishes you are in a high fantasy world, and then like about halfway through the first book, and it, you're a couple hundred pages in, he drops that you, there's a subway. And that this high fantasy Lord of the Rings kind of world is actually the far, far future of our Earth. But even that's not even true, which right. I find out in book three. It's like, it implies that this is the same world, but it's not. Okay, so, and I won't spoil too much, but the fundamental architecture of the series is all of the books that Stephen King writes are connected. Yes. Many of them take place in different universes, mm-hmm. but the Dark Tower... Connects them all. Connects and maintains all of those universes. And one thing, Stephen King introduces and writes more on his Dark Tower series than he does on his other books. Like, he does these great forwards and these great Mm -hmm. afterwards, which I normally don't read, but they are pretty compelling. He maintains his magnum opus. Magnum opus, yeah. He... And I, he's very literary about the whole thing. He's like, Mm -hmm. well, I take it from the poem uh, to the Dark Tower... Roland, the child. Shield, really. Uh, it's, it's this epic, and he keeps on referencing all of literature, like, I pulled from this, and I really love this, and yep. I want to do yep. all these things. And it's very, very intellectual. Yeah. And then you see the most bananas things happening in these books. Yep. I've never seen, like, and that's kind of why I like them. Like, yep. they are both engaging, yet completely crazy. Like, there are some crazy things that happen in these books books so as the series goes on they're going to be more as the series goes on they become able to switch between worlds more easily yeah yeah and that's when things get crazy i mean famously the thing that a lot of people don't like about the series is that in book either five or six i think it's book six stephen king shows up as a character as as a as a self-deprecating character i think yes he's not a hero that saves the world he's like a schlubby author who drinks too much and is he named stephen king he is named stephen king and they find copies of stephen king books in the book it is very meta that's very supernatural supernatural takes the same card and does the books about the the characters where they're where they are in deadpool same deal where they're aware that they are characters in a book So they will become aware that they are characters in a story. Oh, man. It is nuts. So they just announced, and this is what we started off on this whole thing, that the movie is a sequel to this very obscure book series. That you have to, so you have to read one, eight Stephen King books. 
which are like a thousand pages each. They get longer. The first one's and a very quick. Longer, first yeah. book I read, I think, in a day and a half. It's a very fun, quick read. I think he wrote that when he's like twenty-two. It's so, great. And it's by really the way, if you even just read one of them, read the Gunslinger. The Gunslinger, yeah. It is easy to read. A great story. Very compelling. It's um, about a cowboy chasing a wizard across the wasteland. Across, yeah. It's cool. It's yep. super nifty. Roland is so awesome. Two gets a little bogged down in its own mythology, but it's great. Like, it, like if you're invested in the first book, two is very. I'm now setting up all the stuff you need to know for later on. Yes, which gets a little bit boring. I like I knocked out the first half again in that day and a half, and then put it down for like a couple months. That's fair. Um, also, two is a product of its time, which I also want yeah. to talk about. It is very slightly racist. Yeah. Three touches on that a little bit. He's fixing some things, but there's also... Three was made in 91. So I think he made part one in the 70s, right? Yes. So there's a long time between these books. Two is sometime in the mid-80s. And then most of them are in the... 90s. 90s. That's what I remember first hearing about them, the 90s. And I was... I I confused the Dark Tower with the Green Mile, because Green Mile was in, like, novellas that were coming out. Right, right, right. In small parts, and I remember like there's regularly a Green Mile book, and there's regularly a Dark Tower book, and I they they bled together because I wasn't a big Stephen King fan. Right. Um. I read The Shining. I read a couple of the smaller books, but like nothing that was I wasn't considering myself a Stephen King fan in the nineties. Right. Um. So Dark Tower comes out, and I, I didn't know what it was, but uh, book three gets a little bit better with some of the politics, but still occasionally gets icky. Yeah. There, so one of the members of Roland's party is an African-American woman from the 60s who has a split personality. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's not even DID. It's just straight up she is supernaturally three different people. Yes. Um, originally in book two, and this is, okay, let's just say spoilers, guys. Sure. Light, light spoilers. We're not going to ruin the whole story for you. I might ruin the whole story. Please, <laughs> you might. So what Roland is doing is he's pulling three people from the real world of the United States, or what you think is the real world is the United States, into his world and then training them to be gunslingers. And they get really good at it uh, really quickly. Yeah. I guess time is very questionable what's going on, how long things are taking. There are times where it just implies that they've been there a while. Oh, yeah. So the other thing is Roland lives in a world that has moved on. So things are becoming... He describes time as soft. But basically, Roland is about a thousand years old. Is he really? Yeah. Because, and watches don't work. There's one point where it says, you have an, uh, 12 minutes to defuse this bomb. That There's a part where they have to defuse the bomb. Yeah. And they said, what does 12 minutes really mean? Right. Which is a great line to say. Yep. Because you read at different paces, which also helps. Yeah. He also compares the world to a watch that is just running down a lot, which I think is a cool image. Yeah, the clocks are all running backwards. Right. Part of that, so the idea is the Dark Tower, which holds all of the universe together, is under attack by the bad guy, which we won't talk about because I don't think you know who it is yet. It's not Walter O'Day. It's not Not Man in Black. Walter O'Dim. Walter O'Dim. Yeah. Who you might know if you read The Stand. Yeah. And this is, again, tying into the fact that Stephen King loves pulling in his other characters into um, this book. Because uh, he shows up in a lot of the different books. Yeah. He's in Children of the Corn. Yep. He's in... It's it's the Man in Black. Basically, anybody in Stephen Rand- King stuff with the with the initials RF 
is the same. As we said, Walter Oday. Old Walter Oday. Well, he goes by Randall Flagg in the stand, and he's He introduces himself at the end of 3 as RF again. I had, yeah. to, I had to make sure it was the same character. I had just like Wikipedia, like, this yeah. is the same guy, right? Anytime, he's, uh, anytime there's an RF character in Stephen King, he's an evil wizard. Yeah, or if you just see an evil wizard, and usually he's pretty cocky, it's the same character. Yes. Um, can we talk about the fact that there is a weird sense of He's almost constantly retconning himself out of things. Yeah. So there's so the gunslinger itself has been revised, and actually his plan was to I, go through. I, the I read the revised. Series. I read the revised. Version, you should. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to make it fit the other stories, but because in the unrevised version, there's a point at which Roland just kills a whole town, basically that for happens, no reason. That happens in the new. So the new one, yeah, he has a motivation. Oh, okay. So like the they, they all start attacking him, yeah. and then he's like, "I have to kill everyone." I think in the original, he just sort of murders everybody, just because, and it's much more morally ambiguous. Uh, great, and I, I'm glad they fixed that. Yeah, uh, it would be weird to say that he's our hero that he just will go from town to town slaughtering folks. Yeah, but he is kind of cool with death. Yeah, he but says he, he deals in lead. Hmm. Uh, but he retcons a lot, and I don't know if this is. Because he likes characters that he's killed off or anything like that. But he will kill off multiple characters only to bring them back. Yes. Which is, and as me as a big fan of time travel and like multiple universes, I love those kind of stories. Right. The idea that he figures out ways, and they're valid ways, like to bring back characters. But it does feel like, oh, I wrote this great character that I've now completely bumped off. So one of the things that Death does a lot in the Dark Tower series is just move you from one universe to another. Yeah. So, for example, in The Gunslinger, Jake, or Roland makes friends with uh, a kid named Jake, who is 12. And this is, this is not very light spoilery because it's the yeah. first character you meet in the right. Dark Tower. So Jake will die at the end of the book. And it haunts it, it becomes his, like, the Gunslinger's major motivation for the rest of the series is yes. his relationship with Jake. Like, what happened in that first book. So fundamentally, Roland's motivation is to find the tower, and he is willing to sacrifice anybody and everybody around him to do that. Mm -hmm. And in book four, you're about to read the best. Book four is going to be a long flashback of Roland as a young person. The only thing that's really bumming me out is about book four is I have a momentum now. I really want to know what goes on after this. Yeah. And book four is a tank. It is a, I think it's the longest in the series. It might be, but it's really good. And it reads fast. Now, again, we keep on going back to this original idea. The movie is a sequel to these books. I am already meeting the series halfway by saying, I kind of know about them. I spent the last year reading the last three books kind of thing. Here is my concern. I am worried that as a sequel, it's going to spoil you for the rest of the books. I don't know what they mean by sequel. Though. I know you don't, and that's why I can't explain it. Oh, so you're you're books. saying that you know how this is going to be a sequel? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's and I'm really excited for it. But who else is going to be excited for it? Let's let's look people at people who have read the eight books of this. Exactly. This is a major summer blockbuster. That, by the way, the studio is kind of burying. It's released in August, which is a red flag. Early August, though. Early August is still good summer films. It's, it's a pink flag. Okay. It's a summer film that they're kind of burying. Like I haven't seen a ton of publicity for this movie nope. at all. Not a good sign. It looks like a lot of money was thrown at this. Yes. Like, I love, love, love that this is a sequel to the books. I think it's the perfect thing for fans 
of the yeah. series. But that fanship is pretty small compared to the other major properties out there. It's true. Because Dark Tower could have been a great... I think what I heard originally was Dark Tower, the movie, was going to set as a setup for a TV show. Okay, so that's still kind of true, I think, given the... This is the most recent stuff I could find out about it. So they're going to do the Dark Tower movie, Mm -hmm. which is a retelling-ish of the third book of the series, but also kind of the first book. Wait, the movie is a retelling of... Three? Of three and one, I think, is how they're... So the ones I just read. Yes. So you're in good shape for that. So then I think what the plan is to do a 10 or 11 episode miniseries of the fourth book, which is the long flashback to like where Roland comes from and what the world is like before his civilization collapses. And I don't think they have any hard plans on that yet, but they're working with the same guys who do House of Cards. That'd be cool. So I'm guessing it'll be on Netflix. That'd be really cool. Um, I just don't get... Why not make Dark Tower Book 1, The Gunslinger? Mm-hmm. Why not make the movie The Gunslinger? Then go from there and then do the miniseries of the rest of the series. Like, I mean, at this Even point, do a spinoff and do Book 4 as a spinoff. Right. Like, the way that the current media landscape is, I would much prefer... You know, an HBO or a Netflix miniseries just straight through. So season one, episodes one through six are The Gunslinger. And then next season we come back with... Can you imagine HBO on the same night doing Game of Thrones and then Dark Tower? See, well, that's not like Game of Thrones is almost over. Like, you need a new Game of Thrones. Well, there's going to be five new Game of Thrones shows coming out. Okay. I bet none of those will come out. (laughs) None of them? Maybe one of them. Dunkin' Egg is not getting made. Yeah. Anyway, that's what like that's what I would prefer. If you gave me if like if I were making them, I would rather have a mini series or a season per book. I think that would work much better. Okay. But we'll see how this goes. It I would love The Dark Tower as a as a series. Yeah. I think that's it's if, one of the few franchises that has that many pages to it as backup. Like to justify yeah, a, a whole yeah. series. Like, Game of Thrones really works because those it took a while to catch up to the actual book. If it wasn't for George R. R. Martin and his very lackadaisical writing schedule. Right. Versus Stephen King comes up with, like, two books a year. I, that is such a genius swap for Game of Thrones because you have the aesthetic of Game of Thrones. Yep. You have the pages, which means the fans of the books will get their TV show adapted. The people who don't want to read the books can eventually catch up on the show, like the same thing with Game of Thrones. Yep. And it's done. And it's done. You don't have that weird period of And the thing now. is, the fact that they it's still available for sequels means that if yeah. you do finish it, you can still keep on going. Yep. That's the perfect combo. Like, yep. the main storyline is done and leaves the door open to keep on going if you wanted to. Yep. That's cool. Which is what the movie's doing. How is HBO not clamoring for that? I don't know. It's probably the dark side. It's like something like that would be number two on my wish list of shows and which number room? one would be the dune series which keeps on trying to get done which will yeah i mean there's been attempts and it's just been attempts and failures problem with dune if nobody's read dune out there dune is about a bunch of aristocratic people who live in space and vie amongst themselves for control spice. of the empire yeah and for trading of spice right uh so basically it's game of thrones in space which means it's unlikely that with a space happen. messiah with the Space Messiah, but like the fundamental language of Dune is very similar 
to Game of Thrones. Like they talk about an emperor, they talk about it is, different houses. It is very inaccessible had you not seen a visual companion piece. Like when I read Game of Thrones before I saw the TV show, I started reading Game of Thrones a little bit before I saw the TV show, just because I I prefer reading the book first and then watching the TV show. And it's super hard to read Game of Thrones dry. Yes. Um, then I watched season one. I was like, oh, now I get everything. Yes. And then I can now read the book it's very a good easily. Anchor. It is a great anchor. It's very easy to understand what the dynamics of the characters Because there's a billion characters in Game of Thrones. And yep. same thing with Dune. There's just a lot going on. Yep. Which makes it perfect for a show like that. Mm-hmm. But you'll and, never see it now. And this might be our transition piece right here. And I saw the David Lynch film, uh, <laughs> Dune. Which is just enough to give you a... It's not an accurate representation of the books at all. But it does give you the loose setting of what Dune is. Yes. So when I read Dune after seeing the David Lynch film, I at least kind of got what was going on. It helped me at least ground it a little bit. Um, I am not a fan of Dune. I've given Dune a shot. You love Dune. I do love Dune. I love the books. I tolerate the sci-fi miniseries that came out in 2001. What was wrong with that one? I never saw it. It looked pretty quality. It was This was before sci-fi went off the rails and became the most insane yeah. channel on, on television. So it's pretty low budget. There are a lot of deserts that look like green screens. Oh, that's a shame. Um, and fundamentally, Dune is not written to be adapted. There's not a ton of dialogue there's a ton of internal monologuing. Yeah, there is. Which is really hard to translate to the screen without just being weird. Which David Lynch does. Like, characters will just stop and think yeah, things in their heads. It'll be a close-up of someone's eye, and it'll yep. be just Kyle McLaughlin talking over his eye. But it grinds the story to a halt. Yeah. So I think fundamentally Dune is just difficult to adapt. So you want... Faithfully. You want Dune done by a genius, like a Dune who's cracked the I code want a thing that could not exist, yes. Yeah. I'm sure it could. I, like, there's there's things that we considered unfilmable that are... Like, American Gods is kind of unfilmable, but it's it, true. It works in, in... I'm loving it. Yeah, you love American Gods. I, I like it a lot. I think it's a little bit a bummer for me. I read the book... American Gods is one of my favorite novels. I love the novel. I read it uh, a couple years ago. And it was one of those surprises you pick up. I was like, I know this is a classic, but like... It can't possibly be that good. And it was that good. It's pretty good. It's really good. Um, Which is funny because I didn't read the spinoff. Mr. Nancy? Oh, yeah. Nancy Boys? Nancy Boys, that's it. I I, did, and I don't remember anything about it. Yeah, it was funny. I have a copy of it. I just didn't read it. Um, I kind of like the idea that American Gods is its own thing. And I thought, you really can't film this. It's... Very supernatural. It's very existential. It's very. There's a lot of like, what is really going on here yep. moments, but it it was good. And then the TV show is doing a bang up job of it. It's yep. not the book that I thought it was. It's not this. It's not the book, no. but it's doing the a really good interpretation of the book. Yep. So, I I could see Dune maybe doing something like that where it's not exactly Dune. But it's as Dune-y. it's a great interpretation of Dune. Yeah. So there's a new movie coming out. We'll see. And by the way, yeah, and this is Dune I, is one of those like projects that keeps on not happening. We have the famous Jodorowsky Dune. They they did yes. a documentary on that. Which just looking from the stills, that movie would have been bananas. Yep. I mean, the series is kind of bananas. Like at one point, one of the characters becomes a giant worm and rules the galaxy for three thousand years. Yeah, I guess I'm thinking the word bananas. But yeah, it's it it sounds crazy. It is. And that's, I think, the difference in our 
personalities in terms of we both like sci-fi. You like really hardcore, like hard sci-fi. I'm much more space opera where people are normal people in a science science fiction setting. Like Star Trek yeah. is. We yeah. both like Star Trek. Yes, but I like Star Trek because it's all about humanity's tie to the stars versus like deep politics of this. Uh, I love deep politics. You love deep politics. Um, anyway, so talking about David Lynch, let's okay. talk about Twin Peaks. All right, let's transition to our main topic then. Which I think is going to be our secondary topic because are... Dark Tower was pretty impressive. Twin Peaks, we, we set up a goal to watch Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks is one of those shows that people swear by. Yes. This is a beloved cult show. Uh, it came back recently with a revival on Showtime. And Which we haven't, I haven't watched any of. I haven't watched, well, mind you, we haven't, okay, so. I think I would completely crush our understanding of the show. Right. Because it is a continuation. There's one line in season one, and I love it, is I'll see you in 25 years. Uh, Laura Palmer says in the dream sequence, Yeah, yeah. I'll see you in 25 years. And that happened. Is it exactly 25 years? I think it is. I, I have to look that up, but that's. Okay. Well, for context, so I've watched through the first season and the first, I think, two episodes of season two. I'm almost exactly there. I think I'm on episode four of season okay. two. So I, I don't know who has killed Laura Palm. Okay. Um, I read I've basically nothing. I've seen Fire Walk With Me. My buddy Dan said, you don't have to see the TV show to see Fire Walk With Me. It's a prequel. Like, oh, I don't think I'll like it. But And then I did not like it, and I did not get what was going on. It was a prequel to characters I don't know what was going on. I don't know right. what their relationship was. But uh, I have Firewalk with me DVR'd, and I remember nothing of Firewalk with me. So please put that on the table. Okay. I remember that Kiefer Sutherland's in it. That's about it. Sweet. Yeah, I, I, there was a time, there's a weird time in my life where From I From the Lost Boys, Kiefer Sutherland? Yes. There's a, oh, and this is a shameful admission. There was a time in my life where I had so much free time. Where I tried watching every Kiefer Sutherland movie. Ew. Yeah. Ew. Yeah, no. And it was, I think the fourth movie in, I was like, this was a dumb idea. This was the worst idea. And then I saw that he was in one of the Land Before Time sequels. Really? And I was, I think that's what put the the nail on top. I'm okay without seeing Land Before Time 7. Yep. Out of context. Yep. Well, how much context could there be? Oh, I imagine that Sharp Tooth had quite a bit of uh, influence over that world. I think they do. There is like a baby T Rex that comes in later. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't remember the first Land Before Time. I remember. The, the I th- love the first Land Before Time. I loved it. I don't remember much. I remember there's a character named Sharp Tooth. Sharp Tooth is like the evil T Rex. The evil T Rex. Yeah. Trying to eat them, and he kills Littlefoot's mom, and then Littlefoot has to go. To when was the last, when was the last time you've seen this movie? I mean, not recently. You so, don't remember this? I remember Sharptooth being an evil T-Rex. We are almost the same age. I don't understand how this movie is not imprinted on your soul. We had different childhoods. We did. You're wearing I a Ninja Turtles awesome. t-shirt, which I, I also like Ninja Turtles. Yeah, I think. Inside baseball. Inside baseball. Uh, going back to David Lynch, I don't know how it got so deep. Oh, Kiefer Sutherland was in Twin Peaks. We should do a Land Before a Time episode. Oh, God. Just, and we should knock out all one. seven yes. in one. Just don't do it an episodic thing. Just do all seven Land Before nah, That sounds atrocious. That sounds we should, really bad. I think they're on like number 11 or something like that. We could do a Don Bluth episode and watch that and Five Will Goes West. No, no, no. Uh, An American Tale. Watch the original American Tale. Yeah. I don't want to watch Jimmy Stewart's last performance. It's Five Will Goes West, isn't it? Is it really? I think it is. Nice. He plays the old dog, which is very on the nose. Aww. Uh, R.I.P. <laughs> we keep on insulting the dead on this show. We're not insulting. That, that should be awesome. the name of our show. Forget literally anything. Insulting, insulting, the, insulting dead. the dead. Uh, pass. 
sleep on it. I'm going to revoke your admin rights. Going back to Twin Peaks, what did you think of it overall, season one? It is hard to imagine that it exists. It's so really weird. It's on when does it come out? Is it 91? 90 to 91, I think. Okay. I cannot picture somebody in 1991 with only knowledge of television from 1991 turning this on and watching it. And being okay with it. 1991 is a terrible age for television. Basically, anything before 98, Yeah, you just shouldn't watch. This Other show than is, The Simpsons. There's some stuff out there, but in terms of mythology, narrative, storytelling... Yeah, there's nothing. Or I mean, there's, there's soap operas, which I'm going to get to in a second. There's soap operas, and then you have an occasional small-run miniseries. Sure. But Twin Peaks, you're saying that no one... It should not exist. And it was on ABC. It should not have been on a network. It should not have... Like, I get why it's popular, because obviously people like those things. Yeah. But it's like if it came out 15 years later, you wouldn't even notice it. Yeah, it would. So what it does, and this is what I think I like about the show, because I'm very uh, I'm very vocal how much I don't really like David Lynch. I don't really like him. People love David Lynch. I'm going to make a a personally you personally. I've met the man. He was rude to me. I don't care for him. (laughs) Uh, No, I, I. People love David Lynch. I worked in an artsy-fartsy video store for a couple of years, and everyone came in and was just raving about David Lynch all day. And so I, I, I binged most of his movies. I said, I'm going to watch, like, what is everyone talking about? I've seen Dune before that point. But besides that, and I know that Dune is his offshoot. This is definitely a studio yes. film that he doesn't want to make. So I binged a lot of his movies, and I said, I don't like this guy. Like, he's very weird. And that's his entire gimmick is I'm very, very weird. And not to say I don't like weird directors. I, I talked about this on my blog. I love Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. I love a lot of weird guys. And mind you, there's more than that. But he's weird for being weird's sake. I think that's the best description of David Lynch. Yeah. He, there's no purpose behind his weirdness. He's not creating a world that is fun or whimsical or he wants you to change your mind about how you should view the world. He just likes doing bizarre things from time to time. So for a guy who doesn't really like David Lynch, and this is, again, just me coming from a point of view of not being a fan, and it's a bit flippant of me, and I apologize for that, every time he gets weird, it seems like he's writing himself out of a hole. He has this story that he has to keep on telling, and when he gets a narrative dead end, something weird happens that pushes the story in the direction it's supposed to be going. And Twin Peaks does that a little bit. Like, the dreams, which is what mm-hmm. what it's known for. Yeah, it's known for the dreams. And David Lynch, throughout his oeuvre, loves doing commentaries on dreams. And I get it. Dreams are weird. Mm-hmm. But at this point, it's been beaten to death for me, especially considering I've seen most of his things. The only thing I haven't really right. seen right now at this point is Wild at Heart, which I think might do for I'll watch Wild at Heart prepping for season two. He loves doing the weird dream commentary or the visions. And the rules just go out the window. What I like about the show is that it's a deconstruction of the murder mystery. Mm-hmm. And he, I, I love that so much because he does this intentional thing. And I, I hope I'm reading this right. He has the fake show within the show, Invitation to Love. That's great. And that means he's aware that he's doing it. He's commenting yes. on like 
this is how silly TV shows get with their narrative structure. Like, ridiculous things happen. You just have to believe it. Yep. And that's what Invitation to Love is. And it's constantly, like, every time something weird happens, we see a flash to, like, what's going on in the show. Which is a reminder of, like, this is what television is. I'm commenting on that. Yes. It reminds me of, if you read the original Watchmen comic. Yes. The pirate comic within the comic that is a commentary on what Watchmen is talking about. Fargo is doing it this season, too. Okay. I love that. that I think it's a cool text. There's, well, there's got to be a name for that narrative device. The, I'm sure the, that there is. In storyline, storyline. Yep. The thing that everyone in this universe finds is entertaining is a commentary on what this world is. Yes. I love that so much. The thing about that, I kind of... He starts off with this deconstruction of the murder mystery, which is uh, fascinating. But it actually kind of becomes the soap opera that it's commenting on at one point. Yeah, and I think that's what a lot of people complain about in season two. Because I know structurally they solve the murder early in season two, and then there's a lot of episodes about the townspeople and how they get along and interact. And I can't say that I'm excited for that. Yeah. I don't think it's an easy show to watch. And most, when you have a single mystery as either the premise of the show or the premise of the season, there's a lot of padding that has to happen. Um, I always like murder mystery TV shows because you slowly figure out who the killer is, which I feel is much more fascinating to find the right. the philosophies and the, the psychoses of these characters right. that leads to that. But there's also a lot of intentional misleads. Like, you know that if you're on an episode 16 out of 22, if they, they think they're finding the killer, it's not the killer. Right. There's a lot of that stuff going on with a lot of these shows. And Twin Peaks did the thing that makes me a little bit sad. The killing did the same thing, which is they don't tell you who the killer is at the end of season one and then start a new mystery. Yeah. I would prefer that. Like, Fargo does that. And again, second time I mentioned Fargo. Fargo does mm-hmm. the the anthology style seasons where it's like okay. the entire season is just one mystery with characters. And then it keeps the name, but takes place in a different location with a thematic right. similarity. But, like, it's a new mystery, new killers, new characters. See, I like that. Yeah, I like that too. And I kind of wish Twin Peaks was that. It's not. It's not. It, it definitely keeps you in-universe. And there are scenes in Twin Peaks where the scenes feel so long because I feel like they're even trying to hit their runtime at some points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the cool thing about the first episode, or the first season, is it only ten episodes. Is it? Is that those eight? Is it? Okay. But I mean, the point is, it's yeah. not a twenty-six. Like if you think of TV in nineteen ninety-one. Yeah. Like it's all twenty-six episode seasons. Yeah, it's eight episodes for season one, then twenty-two for season. So two. then they, I guess, they get a regular pickup. And I don't know how you can keep that going. Uh, it doesn't sound like he does. Yeah, and it feels like they're intentionally avoiding the actual plot at times just to keep a show running. Like, right. there's characters I don't care about. Uh, like, Jacques being a major character. Yeah. Like, I don't know who he is, but he's somehow involved in the plot. Yeah. The lady with the eye patch. Lady with the eye patch. She had a fun gimmick that they keep on beating to death. Yeah. It was a fun joke for once, but you make an entire season about that gimmick. The log lady. Yeah. Yeah. These are, if I compare it to The Simpsons, where Springfield yeah. has all these really fun, wacky side characters, but they're meant to be on screen for a second. Once they start getting their own episodes. 
it becomes burdensome. Yeah, like yeah. there's not enough padding. There's not enough meat there to really make an entire episode out of. And Twin Peaks seems to be doing a little bit of that. I really hate trashing on this because I I get why people like it. I get it. It's a very cool concept for a show. But it's also not for everybody, I think. It's definitely not for everybody. And again, in 1991, I'm not sure who it's for. Like there's they, I can't think of anything like it at the time. And maybe that's what it, that maybe that's what it's for is to say everything that you've been digesting in television has been so vanilla. Like it's everything that we know that everyone will like. They might not love it, but everyone will like it. And Twin Peaks might be the first niche show out there where it's like we have an audience out there. They are they are they don't ever get anything that's up their alley. They hate most things. Let's give them something that they'd like. And I don't know if David Lynch is actively going out that or ABC, any execs at ABC are going for that, they realize. Think about, we have The Walking Dead as a major phenomenon right now. And mind you, when you look at numbers today in terms of viewership compared to the viewership oh, yeah. numbers of 91. It's nothing. It's nothing, but it's... Basically, no one watches TV now. But Walking Dead compared. is a major cultural impact, even though it only gets 2.2 million viewers or something like that per, per episode or something right. like that. That's... Teeny Tiny versus the 15 million for, like, MASH or something like that. Right. Well, in 1991, there's basically four channels to watch. Yeah. I mean, the cable is, is starting to show up at this point, but this is ABC. Yeah. So it's saying, let's start making things that might not get the numbers that our other shows do, but might make more of a cultural impact. And Twin Peaks it definitely did. does that. It definitely does that. It's almost like, so So thinking about it that way, <clears throat> and some of the earlier stuff you said, it almost works as a really good precursor to The Sopranos. Yeah, I don't think we would have had Sopranos without Twin Peaks. I don't think we would have right. had any of this stuff. It's almost like, so So I think maybe what we're saying is that Twin Peaks respects its audience. Yeah. To tell, one, a serialized story over the course of multiple seasons. Mm-hmm. And two, to intellectually deconstruct what it's doing for its audience. Yeah. And the thing is, the only reason we can be so critical of it is because it's not precious to us. It wasn't our outlet a million years ago. Um, We have students who love this show when they discovered it, and they live in a world where niche television is just the way of the world. (laughs) There's only niche television. Yeah, everything's made specifically for you. So it does have, I guess, cultural impact today. It's not saying this is an antiquated show that has no value in society. It's it's still yeah yeah yeah. You can pick up Twin Peaks today and watch it. I don't think for a guy for a guy who doesn't like David Lynch, I kind of like it. It's a good show. It's not a great show for me. It's a little bit boring, and I I see the missteps more than I see the successes. Right. But that's because <laughs> I don't find it precious to me right now. Right. Um, if this was my show. I could easily ignore a lot of those mistakes. And a lot of them I can chalk up to the fact that it was 91. Right. 91 has a very different pace. Like, you watch a show from the 90s, the pacing on it is very, very different. Um, They don't mind doing a misstep episode from time to time, and that's just part of life. What else are you going to watch? It's on ABC. Yeah, you have 25 other episodes. Yeah. A show that does a misstep nowadays, everyone comments like, ugh, this was the worst. Like, for example, Walking Dead, talking again. The the Negan episode, you lost it on, like, one episode. I did. I jumped ship. Yeah, from, and that's one episode versus Twin Peaks acknowledges that we can do a misstep from time to time and our viewership is going to stick with us. Yeah. And not to say that new shows are all perfect, but there are kind of like boring episodes of Twin Peaks and mm-hmm. 
things I want to say, can I be done? But then I came back and said, this oh, episode. Yeah, that's pretty good. The episode afterward was fine. And I usually stick with shows no matter how bad they get. I've, I'm now on season 11 of Supernatural. Yeah. And the show gets good again. Like, and because I would usually acknowledge most shows after a bad season get good again. Right. I haven't I've, watched. I've been wrong on that before. Lost. Yeah. Mm. X Files. Yeah. I've, I, I stuck with them, but I'm glad I stuck with them. So I can at least say I watched it all the way through. It doesn't get good again. Um, I know the whole canon now. I know the whole story. It's fun for me. Um, there's a couple of shows I've jumped ship, ship for, but usually that's because they were major burdens on watching. See, at this point, like just for me, like, there's so much good stuff, good stuff yeah. to watch. I don't like spending time on mediocre stuff. So Twin Peaks works for me for the most part, and I kind of get why people like it. I get why people like it. For me, I think it suffers from... I'm enjoying it, but I think it suffers from the thing that movies like Citizen Kane suffer from, which is that they almost come off as cliche now. So because, because it was the template... It's, because they pioneer so much, and because so many people take what they do and... I've seen so that. many Twin Peaks knockoffs at right. this point. Right, right. Where, where watching the proto version of that show is... It's well, hard. now it seems a little yeah. bit dated. Like, because yeah. all the other yeah. shows, and not to say they're better because they're not. There's, I've watched a lot of worse things. Than, like, I acknowledge I enjoy things that are worse than Twin Peaks. Like, Riverdale is a knockoff of Twin Peaks so hard with weird. a weird premise. I enjoy it a lot. But they also had time to fix some of the, the pacing issues. They clearly wrote the story ahead of time as opposed to. I feel like Twin Peaks may have been writing it as it went along. That right. was a very com- That's still a very common thing is to not solve the mystery before you actually introduce the mystery. Right. Yeah. I kind of feel that's going on in Twin Peaks, is that the mystery becomes a very secondary idea. You th- I don't know anything about the history of writing it. Do you think that he writes Laura Palmer being killed it's, and doesn't know It was did? almost unheard of that someone had... If they had a TV show ahead of time and they introduced a mystery, that they actually had the, the solution to the mystery. I know that uh, Damon Lindelof and J.J. Abrams said that they wrote lost with those result in, in in mind ahead of time and then i listened to a nerdist podcast with damon lindelof says we have to kind of say that that's not actually that's true right like we have a loose idea where we want to go but we throw that out the window as time goes on you have right. another season you need to fill up a new, new storyline guess what those ideas have to go out the window because right. we have more story to tell i got and kind of got the vibe that twin peaks is doing the same thing with the stalling and not could be I don't think there's going to be a great revelation of who killed Laura Palmer. Well, if you know who killed Laura Palmer... Don't tell us, because we're going to watch season two. Don't put it in the comments for this episode. (laughs) Now I feel that for the first time ever, we're going to get comments, and it's going to be all who killed Laura Palmer. Don't read them. Uh, Yeah. All right. Well, any final thoughts on half of Twin Peaks? I, I enjoy it. In fact, I'm actually a little bit motivated to watch season two. I wish it was shorter. I also wish it was shorter. If it was another ten episodes, I would have knocked it out by now. Yeah, I would be. I would be genuinely excited about it. Twenty two. Twenty two is because I'm in episode four, and I see it slowing down. Yep. And that's a problem if I'm gonna have to get through twenty two of those. Yep. Because that means we're not. I can't watch old TV anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a thing, but. I, there's so much more Twin Peaks. And I hear the new Twin Peaks 
is even more crazy. Oh, this is what I want to talk about. Do we have like five more minutes? Sure. Um, I watched Blue Velvet. I mean, it's a podcast, so like nobody can cancel this or anything. Sure. Uh, I watched Blue Velvet in prep for this. I said this Blue Velvet was one of the David Lynch's that fell through the cracks. I always said I watched it, but I never did. Nice. It was one of those things of I didn't want to lose an argument uh, when I was talking about why I don't like David Lynch. He's like, but you've seen Blue Velvet, right? And I'm like, yes, I have seen Blue sure. Velvet. As long as there are of no questions. Blue Velvet. Who could forget? Uh, but I actually watched Blue Velvet. The bluest of velvets. And it's definitely the proto-Twin Peaks. Like, he's testing out his his sea legs on this one. Uh, instead, Twin Peaks called Lumberton. <laughs> yeah, you, That sounds like you were writing on Friday afternoon and wanted to go home. And you were like, I need a name for this village. But it's the same. He does a lot of the same jokes. It's got Kyle MacLachlan in it. got some of the same actors. Good. Um, it's, a, it's a mystery, a mur- kind of a murderish mystery. Um, now... What happens in Blue Velvet is that he's got the R rating and no oversight. He's David Lynch that I know him as. He's not doing a show for ABC. He gets complete freedom, and that complete freedom is completely dangerous. Like he has, yeah. and I know that when he said he when they announced Twin Peaks: The Return, there was a moment where he got on board and then quit because he wanted to have complete control, and he says that. Showtime's not going to give that to me. Showtime comes back and says, you can do whatever you want. Dave Lynch comes back and says, I can, since I can do whatever I want, I'm back on the show. Right. That worries me because he has this kind of juvenile attitude towards certain topics. I'm going to be honest, towards sex. He has a very – the, the TV show season one with the One-Eyed Jacks mm-hmm. is a community theater production of what – what a bordello must be like. Like, it just sure. seems very childish and like, and Blue Velvet does, has this very juvenile attitude towards sex. Like, it's what he imagines the dark, the CD underbelly must be. It's very uncomfortable and I kind of <laughs> am worried that Twin Peaks The Return is a lot of that. If you have complete freedom, you actually might thrive under restrictions. Most people do. Yeah. Most, I mean, there's, there are a lot of good examples of creators who got total freedom and, and just face planted. Yeah. Uh, George the, Lucas. George Lucas, the Buffy comic. Yeah. Because Buffy comics, like, we have no budget. You can do whatever you want. And went to space in the first panel. Like, ooh. <laughs> it's not the first, is it the first panel? I think it is, but you, you read the, bu- I love yeah, the yeah. Buffy comic, but I also know. I, I, I read most of season eight. Yeah. So. And that's when Joss Whedon was still. Felt like he had his finger on the, the comic, and now yeah, I feel yeah. like he just lets it... Oh, I don't think he does it anymore. Yeah, I still read them, and they're still officially canon, but who cares? Right. Because there's never going to be a Buffy revival. Nope. Nor should there be. Nor should there be, because no one's a teenager anymore. I bet there will be a Buffy revival with new people. A reboot? Yeah. Ugh. I know. I don't want that either. I don't want that either. But here we are. Um, anyway. So, no, I, I feel like the complete freedom is a bad move for David Lynch. So, season two I'm a little nervous for. Fire Walk with me, I'm more excited for it. Now that I know who the characters are, I'll rewatch and say, oh, yeah. now I get it. Um, I'm kind of excited for The Return just because it's going to be what – does it feel like a new show? Reboots – I mean, revivals never oh, – I'd love to do some another topic. Revivals always seem to get panned. When a show comes back, it's everyone true. keeps saying it's not as good as the original, even if it is. Because the expectations are so high, you can't possibly deliver on them. Yeah, and I – I don't necessarily agree with the fact that revivals are never as good as the originals, but 
I like the idea. Like I, I, I'm always the one who's like, give it a chance. Right. So, but all right. All right. Well, we'll give it a chance for next time. We haven't decided what we're doing next time, but we'll figure it out. Yeah. Let's, let's keep it open and then we're not tied to anything. Okay. But we have to start planning because I got to start watching right now. Okay. Well, we'll start planning off mic. Yeah. You enjoy your summers. Enjoy your summer, everyone. See you in a couple weeks. Goodbye. Bye.